Bookstew viewers and listeners. I'm so happy today to introduce you to Beth Wolfensberger Singer. She is a very well-known cartoonist um, in the Boston area because of her editorial work in the Boston Globe. But she doesn't just do single panels, she does multi-panels. She's a wonderful illustrator. The stories she tells are funny and and sad and remarkable and I'm going to show them to you and Beth is actually going to narrate one of her editorial cartoons for you. So welcome Beth. Oh thank you Eileen. I'm so happy that you were able to join me and we have to give a little bit of a shout out to Dan Kennedy who was a guest on the show a couple of years ago and I saw Beth's name commenting on his Facebook page and I was, I fangirled all over her. I was like, oh, Beth, you're the best, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, a year or so later, she's agreed to be my guest. So Beth, um, let's start with your origins and how you got into uh, cartooning and writing because the writing part of your cartooning is so important. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm not from the Boston area. I'm from California. And I went to college in California, but then I came here for six weeks to study book and magazine publishing. And I've been here ever since, uh, you know, 30 years. Um, I, I feel like I'm from here now. And, uh, and that's important for working for the globe because a lot of the pieces do have kind of a local angle. Um, I was very interested in um, the combination of art and words. Um, this, I'm a lifelong fan of picture books for children and that was my original dream to write picture books. That's what brought me to Radcliffe to study book and magazine publishing. But then when I was offered kind of my dream job as a baby assistant at a picture book company in San Diego, I decided that, you know, as a young person, I'd rather be here in Boston in a city. It just seemed a lot more exciting. Maybe the weather wasn't as good, but it just seemed like I'd never seen anything like Boston before. So um, I ended up working at a magazine as an assistant to both the art director and the editor. And uh, when that magazine went under, I, I started a career as a uh, reporter and magazine writer and uh, lifestyle writer at the Boston Phoenix and eventually a children's book editor and writer at Addison Wesley. And then I had three children and I read them many, many books, looked at a lot of art, uh, read a lot of words. And, uh, and then um, aside from writing my own fiction, I started doing these cartoons just for my friends uh, and I would post one a day would just be some image of my thoughts about it that I would draw on a piece of notebook paper, not fancy, just pencil and notebook paper by hand. And um, eventually some of my friends who I knew from my journalism days said, we should get you in the globe. And uh, thanks to the kindness of people I had known from the Phoenix and Boston Magazine uh, and some other places who all ended up working at the globe, they invited me to submit, um, and I think I submitted about 90 cartoons before 
they found one that was right for the ideas section, which is just the perfect place for me in that in the in the newspaper because it's really where you can think about things, the meaning of words or theories or why why things are the way they are. Um, so I've been doing that for the past eight years. So as a child, were you always drawing? Yes. <laughs> yeah, not not well, but I was always drawing. I, that's what I would do while I watched TV. I draw ladies, draw a lot of ladies in fancy dresses. Ah, so you yeah. start with ladies and because a lot of your cartoons have ladies in fancy dresses on mm, them. Yes, I still funny. like to draw ladies, I do. <laughs> so were you encouraged by your family to pursue art? Yes. Um, my, I, had re I had really supportive parents who would have been happy no matter what I decided to do. I think my mom thought maybe I'd be in fashion or a window dresser. And my dad is the one who coached me through calculus and kind of encouraged my studious side. But he was a Renaissance man who, you know, built violins and fixed cars and everything. I have a, a lot of really crafty people in my family going way back and um, problem solvers, which is really what a lot of these cartoons are. I have something to say and then I have to figure out how to say it and how to say it in that really narrow space that I'm allowed. So, but the, yeah. you know, compared to other single panel cartoonists, you have a lot of room. I mean, you, your panels, the one we're going to go over and look at closely today is, is nine panels, yeah. but you have so much to say that I, I can't even imagine you being confined to one <laughs> panel. Did you ever do one panel cartooning? I tried it. I've done a few for the globe and I wish they came more naturally to me. I just always have way too much to say. Uh, occasionally I'll have an idea for one, but it's, I mean, I take my hat off to the people who are really good at that. It's not, doesn't seem to be the way I roll. <laughs> well, I'm, gl I'm glad because to me, it makes you very unique, your artistic talent and uh, your talent as a writer. So take us through what goes into one uh, one editorial cartoon at the Globe. So you've got the ideas section, and you're you know you're given a, at least a half a page. Mm -hmm. And what I found interestingly enough, and we have talked about it, is that sometimes the editorial content or the articles above your cartoon reflect your cartoon, which is always such beautiful synchronicity. I don't imagine it can happen all the time, no. but since you're so topical, it's not that surprising that it does. And it makes for beautiful continuity on the page. If you read the top, which is an editorial going blah, 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 and then your illustration almost <laughs> is down below. So start us off with how this works when what does the globe expect from you when are you under deadline pressure how does that all come together yes um my editors are so smart and so nice and i've been in the business for a long time i've worked for many editors they're not all smart and nice <laughs> i have some really good people and they trust me to come up with a topic all on my own so I think if I had to tell them a week ahead of time what I was working on, I would kind of be lying because I need to start 
drawing a lot of times before I see if it works. So I can't really promise anything ahead of time. And I really need privacy for the part where I put the cartoon together. You've seen what some of them are like. They're crazy. I mean, the last one I did was historical women wearing sweaters and it had this history of the uterus, crazy beliefs about the uterus. You can't really explain that to an, I can't explain that to an editor ahead of time or in writing. I need to show them the, the full thing. So my editors, they completely trust me, but we have an understanding that every third Tuesday I will turn something in. So my, wow. my pieces appear every third week and there are usually two other, two other cartoonists in the rotation who you see. Um, and um, so about a week before I need a topic, I start really thinking hard about what's going on in the news. I do a lot of reading. I have a list of things that I'm interested in, but often the idea doesn't come together until I've spent a lot of time maybe journaling by hand, um, walking around, taking a shower, you know, it takes, a, I, I, I've spoken of it as being like waiting for snowflakes to build up. Like you might get a few and you think, oh, maybe that's an idea. But sometimes it seems impossible that it will come together. And then over the days, little pieces kind of build up on the framework that I've built. And then, and then I spend all summer Friday, all Saturday, all Sunday, all Monday, and all Tuesdays uh, drawing like the wind. It takes me, it takes me sometimes quite a few days to, to write what I'm going to draw. But then you never know, at least I never know until I start drawing um, how it's going to fit on the page, what's going to need to be cut, what's going to need to be moved around. Um, it's really fascinating and humbling to me that I can't picture it until I start drawing it. I heard the expression building the plane in the air before you land it. Sometimes <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. And often to just to get an idea involves a, a very humbling amount of thinking, quiet time, and like sometimes just prayer for, <laughs> prayer for an idea to fall into my head um, very often. Um, and then I turn it in and I wait and the editors respond and uh, often they help me make it better with some word changes or a perspective uh -huh. I haven't thought of. There's a wonderful copy editor who goes over the whole thing and makes sure that my commas are correct. A, a wonderful luxury in a newspaper to have a copy editor. And, um, and we get it all together by Thursday and it's in Sunday's paper. So it's, it, you know, I feel like I just turn it in and whoa, there it is. Often it's online the same day that I turn it in. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that because I, don't, I read the online version, but I wait till Sundays for uh, yours and Ward Sutton and I can't yeah, remember who yeah. the cartoonist is. So have they ever sent you back to the drawing board, so to speak, and said, no, we don't, we can't do this one at all? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and, and they're, they're my safety net in a way. It doesn't happen too often, thank God, because I put so much time into it, but I trust them to tell me if something's not working. I did one this summer, um, it was about uh, it was it was about gun safety and 
you know, sometimes I just get too angry and it can come across a little, I don't know, didactic or just cynical. And they are there to tell me, no, this, this concept doesn't seem to be working. And I trust them for that. It doesn't feel good to, you know, dismiss something you've been working on. But what does feel good is knowing that I can be crazy. I can put sweaters on historical women and, <laughs> you know, and I can know that if, if I've gone too far, they will say, yeah, that's, that's a little too far. I've had so some if they recently- say it's a little too far, what happens? I mean, because obviously if you've put that much thought into it right. and drawing, you don't have time to suddenly, or do you have kind of uh, cartoons that can come off the bench, so to speak? I don't, I don't, but I have, I have occasionally in past years just started from scratch on a Tuesday and gotten something together by Thursday. I don't think I would do that anymore, <laughs> Yikes. But, um, but I have done that. Um, I can also just say to them, uh, I, I don't have time to do, and they'll find something else to put in the paper for that week. They're very flexible. I just, I just so appreciate that they, they give me the freedom to do my own thing. Uh, and they trust me to do that. It's, I mean, it's really what would happen with a writer also writers sometimes are working on something and it doesn't work out and it doesn't run. I've had that happen as a writer too, but it's, um, it's, it's the ideas as I, I've described to even my family doesn't get to see what I'm working on until I've turned it in and I don't like to talk about it and I don't like anyone looking over my shoulder and the way I've described it to them is that it's like an embryo. It needs to be protected. And if I, it's not that they would do anything to, to damage what I'm working on intentionally, but in order to make some of these concepts work, I have to be in kind of a state of suspended criticism. And if I start seeing it through someone else's eyes, even in describing it to them, it, parts of it can crumble that aren't solid enough. And I really need to, I need to be kind of wild and out there and, um, you know, well, let's draw the characters from Casablanca talking about, you know, hope and Nazis. And it sounds, there are many times when I think this is crazy. And I really don't know when I turn it in what the editors are going to say. So that's the bravest part of the cycle for me is when I just turn it in and just wait to hear what they have to say and just remind myself it's not me, it's just something I made. I, I really love that concept because I think writers or people who are publishing novels, let's say, or trying to publish a novel, they join writers groups and there are critique groups and you pass your work around and everybody gives their opinion, which is great, but not great. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I understand how with art and writing combined and the pressure for every three weeks, you would definitely want to incubate it yourself. Yeah. Plus, you know, I can't even imagine who would look at one of your cartoons and go, oh no, I think that dress should have been green or something <laughs> like that. So I'm, I think that's very sensible that you keep it to yourself. Do you do the lettering and the coloring yourself? I do, yes. I do. When I started working on these pieces for the globe, they were just a piece of notebook paper, like out of a college notebook. And I drew with pencil. Then I would scan them into my computer. That was it. 
But over time, I learned that editors will ask you to change some words here and there. Sometimes something I think is clear is not clear, or you know, there's a, an error, I've misspelled someone's name, or the comma's in the wrong place. It used to be that I would redraw, I would redraw the whole drawing um, in order to fix that. And I decided that I needed to get up to date. So now all of these drawings, although they look a little bit like watercolor, they're all done digitally on my iPad. So I'm drawing on glass with a stylus and, um, and I do all of the lettering uh, myself and I do all of the coloring. Sometimes I even color each panel as it's kind of born, as I work across the page. Sometimes I'll do the whole thing, I'll color it at the end. But occasionally I need to see what the color will look like because uh, occasionally I'll do black and white or a special color scheme or sometimes black and white is to emphasize some aspect of meaning and I uh, have to see how that works. So yeah, it's all me. I don't have any any help doing those things. Well, in the in the one that had Casablanca in it, which is mm -hmm. very touching and and strong and lovely, that had to be black and white, the parts that were actually yeah from oh. Casablanca. Yes. So I think we shouldn't keep people in suspense anymore. So um, there was one cartoon of yours that I picked out that I thought was kind of universal for everybody. I didn't want to make it too specifically Boston, even though it's uh, all about Logan Airport. Anyone who flies can, um, can relate to this and laugh at it and and cry at it. Um, so how about if, can you read that one? I could, I don't have it. Would you want me to read it? Yeah, feel free to read it. You can read it. Okay. I'll tell you about it. Yeah. Okay. What I'm going to do, uh, viewers and listeners, and uh, listeners, you're SOL on this, so you're going to have to watch the video instead of just listening to the podcast because you don't <laughs> want to miss the illustrations. So um, this starts off with seven and a half affordable ways Logan Airport could make itself more fun. And um, there was just something recently about how Logan is the fifth worst airport in the country. So yay, 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 or boo, boo, boo. And then you say here at the end of air travel hell summer. So this was written in 2021. I think it was 2022. 2022. Yeah, 2022 is the hell, the hell yeah. summer. Everything As the T struggles to regroup, which it certainly does, maybe Logan could offer Voyagers a merrier vibe that's also strangely more us. And the illustration at the bottom is a woman shooting a basketball. Okay, so the first one, here are the ideas. Picture this. You know how the baggage carousel often abruptly stops for no visible reason while everybody sighs? Whenever it starts again, could be a while, rig it to play a few loud bars of our song. You want to tell the viewers and listeners what our song is, Beth? No, it's Sweet Caroline. Everyone Of course. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. But Travelers would laugh, right? It would catch them off guard. They'd wonder, where am I? Some fun state with a sense of humor. 
Except for yeah, except for people from New York flying <laughs> to Logan, they wouldn't be too happy. That's true. So that's the first one. So the answer is yes, this is some fun state with a sense of humor, obviously. How else to explain the hoop stations we could easily construct at many of the departure gates? First, we make a basket. First to board, game over. So if you hit your shot, you're first to board instead of mints and people with little kids and this is and that. One try per passenger, infants excluded. <laughs> this is crazy, travelers would say. Who does this? Maybe Massachusetts, where basketball was invented in 1891, and where we don't even like waiting at stoplights. Maybe that's who does this. So, okay, the picture of people shooting hoops is very funny, but you got in the fact about basketball being invented here. It was, it was. <laughs> hey, idea number three. A fancier idea, on certain gate area seats, install buttons, I love this idea, that trigger locally published books to descend via tether, a la airplane oxygen masks. Though these loaned tomes would retract for UV cleaning, because remember we had to scrub books at one point, <laughs> when readers must fly, alas. Still, nice to demonstrate that our school-rich region isn't afraid of free-range book access. There's a little jab at Florida, which is very appropriate. Yes. And four, in dull moments during flight delays, Logan could go for more primal fun. A fast mouth, mouse near ankles sure breaks the ice between strangers. I saw this myself in June in Terminal C. You really did? Oh, yes. There was a mouse, and uh, it was the only thing that got people talking to each other. And screaming. <laughs> there was some screaming, too. <laughs> did anyone actually jump up on a chair and lift up their skirts? <laughs> they did not. But they were so upset that I was baffled because I live in a very old house. We see mice every once in a while. It's not a terrifying thing to me but people were disgusted and so that set up kind of like a conversation point what why is this so upsetting and people were talking to each other which i thought was much better than ignoring ignoring each other so i kind of appreciated that brave mouse that's funny too because when you take the tea when you go into a station that is like an open air and not completely underground station like back bay station these birds all over the place. I don't think anyone? I mean, people may go like this, but I don't think anyone complains about them. So I hope like nobody like took out their shoe and smashed the mouse or anything. It was like a very that. fast mouse, and it got away. It knew what it was doing. Yeah. yeah. So many folks hate mice. So mouse-sized, remote-controlled little women. Another tribute to the Boston area. Speedy Meg. Rodent Quick Joe, Darting Feral <laughs> Beth, poor Beth, <laughs> Creepy Scurrying Amy. And you and as you can see on the drawings, they're all on wheels. These mini sisters steered by hidden staff wouldn't prove we're always strong in small crises, but they'd show we can swear. <laughs> I love that. And of course, 
the little women are kind of in black and white, not, not in color. Number five, now this really makes total sense. To bring joy and relief to restrooms, figure out how to project a smiley face designed in Massachusetts in 1963, who knew, I did not know this, onto the outside of unoccupied stalls. So when the stall is busy, the projection disappears and you have a traveler there saying friendly, wow, and no more curtsies to detect feet because that is what we all do. We will bow or curtsy while we're looking for feet. <laughs> is this a subtle reminder that Massachusetts continues to protect bodily privacy post row? No comment from Smiley. That And that one really is useful. I always wish they would just put red and green lights on the floor. Yeah. Duh, yeah, how great, hard great. is that? But yours is more fun. <laughs> Idea number six. Idea six is low tech. Extra security guards comb the airport for doers of good deeds. Good luck finding them. They discreetly reward them with Toll House Cookies, another Massachusetts invention in Whitman, Mass, actually in 1938. And there's a cartoon of an older lady returning a stuffed animal to a little boy. Great idea. Idea seven has ancient roots. New kiosk where travelers report the worst of their journey. That's gonna be a very long line at that kiosk. After some fact checking, the person with the day's most trying trips gets shipped an Olympic crown. Just like a crown of laurel leaves, like what our marathon runners get. Compliments of Logan Airport attached to it. We live through New England winters. We don't mess around when it comes to respecting endurance. Now here's the last one, which is a half idea. This one needs work. True, Logan could have a missing luggage booth that plays the Jay Giles band's Must Have Got Lost. It's a bop from a band formed here. But people might flip. After travel summer hell, they can only take so much. Where am I, they might say, here in 2022? This is crazy, and we might have to agree. Uh, I, I love this cartoon. So you did, you did such a nice job reading that. I'm glad. Oh, that you I did. mean, I could I could dramatize your cartoons <laughs> all day and all night. So, do you remember how this one came together? Yes, um, I had not traveled for several years because of the pandemic. My family's still in California, and I needed to go to California for an event in June. And so I went to Logan and uh, I saw that mouse. <laughs> but um, when we landed in San Diego, there were palm trees, there were these big windows, there was a steel drum band playing at the airport. It was just like a party. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, you know how when you haven't done something for a while, you see it with new eyes. And I suddenly saw what a traveler landing at Logan experiences. And I can tell they've done a lot of work to you know, put together some interesting art and exhibits, but it just isn't to me, it's not a fun place. It's very serious. It's like a very serious airport and it's kind of dark. And uh, I just thought 
that doesn't reflect us necessarily. We we are kind of serious here. We have a lot of academic people, but we also love games. Obviously, we love our sports teams and we love books and we love uh, having fun. And what if someone just was passing through and they got they thought that Logan was the flavor of Boston? So I just wanted to I just wanted to have fun just trying to design, think of ways that really wouldn't be that expensive, but might give travelers more a feeling for who we are here and that, that we have fun and we have a good sense of humor and we respect endurance and we, you know, look out for people's rights. And so that was, that's how that happened. But that, I mean, so it's one thing. And also I wonder when you hit San Diego, if that made you go, oh damn, I could have taken a job here years ago <laughs> and had no. these palm trees at the airport all the time. Maybe, maybe that would be the, the half of the seven and a half. We could just plant some plastic palm trees or something like that. <laughs> palm so trees first, are always good. So first you had to, I mean, I, I love how the thought process worked. Like this is based on an actual trip. And in 2022, it wasn't as even as fun as it ever used to be, which was never a lot of fun, but COVID certainly made everything worse. Yes. And so you've got like a historic or an identifier for Massachusetts in every one of the of the panels and something to please everybody from right. fans yeah. of Jay Giles to Red Sox fans to to people reading. So um, this to me was just the com the complete picture. So much humor and um, and such a, when you say go wild. This is really a pretty wild cartoon, <laughs> I mean, but, but wild in a great way, of course, So because it gave you a chance to just come up with all this really silly, amazing stuff and make it look like, well, you know, we could do that. I think <laughs> you should take this to the, to the uh, airport authority and let them come up with some of this stuff. They do have a nice wall at JetBlue now, the JetBlue terminal, that has all these accomplishments yes. of people in Massachusetts. And that is wonderful. And it really, like I get shivers um, and I'm proud every time I walk by that. Like it's that not too. fun, it's fact right. filled, but it's not <laughs> fun. So uh, so you could be yeah. like the ambassador of fun for Logan. <laughs> Well, if you ever get bored with cartooning. So I'm afraid our time is running up, but I did want to, I'm going to show a couple more um, of your panels. And also I wanted to let people know that you are available to do custom prints for people if that is something that they're interested in. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how that works? Oh, that's so nice of you. Yes, I, um, I have a local printer in Stoneham who prints things up really beautifully for me. So occasionally readers might want a copy of one of my drawings. There was one that I did about um, the picture books that my mother read to me and how those kind of helped me get through the pandemic, even though she passed away in 2013 and didn't know anything about a pandemic. Um, and some people like that for a Mother's Day gift or um, if, if there's any cartoon that I've done. They're all on my website and I can get those printed up for people really beautifully on, you know, acid-free paper with inks that will last a really long time. I've also had a lot of fun this year working on some personal projects for Globe readers who maybe have a, 
a relative who likes my work and I'll make a birthday card for them. Or, um, you know, I did a cover for a scrapbook for one reader uh, who had seen the piece that I did about my great grandfather's Civil War diary. So um, sometimes I kind of make friends with my readers that way. <laughs> Well, I, I think that's a, that would be the most amazing gift, and it's nice to know that that you're available to do that and that um, you can do it without necessarily having the pressure of, of three weeks to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm so glad you joined me on Book Stew today. I mean, it's always been my dream to have a cartoonist, and I'm so glad you're local and uh, you didn't react to my fangirling you by like screaming and running away. So um, Bookstew viewers and listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Beth Wolfensberger Singer. And um, please look for her work on her website, which I will put uh, on at the end of the show. And uh, thanks for joining us. Have a good night.